Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Packs What She Said podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined as always by Perry Goldstein, the certified cornerback Stan. And today <laughs> we are breaking Perry out of her comfort zone because we're going to talk about the safeties. So, I mean, but we did uh, kind of talk a little bit in the DMs today that you are becoming now a safety Stan as well. So I think this is going to be like your coming out party where you just announced to the world that you are obsessed with the entire secondary. Like you've moved on from corners and now it's just, you've broadened your horizons. It's not a move on. It's just like <laughs> they, they work in tandem. You know, you can't, you can't love one without the other. And my research for this episode has really made me appreciate Adrian Amos like more than I ever did before. You know, yeah. I always felt like he was, so, you know, he's solid. Right. But then there's some things you're like, you are so underappreciated. The safeties in the corners are like peanut butter and chocolate. Like they're really good by themselves, but when you put them together, it's just. Nobody puts Adrian Amos in a corner. <laughs> it's true because he's a safety. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We're really starting off with the puns here. All right. <laughs> all right. So today we thought if you listened, if you hearkened back to our cornerbacks episode, we would do something similar for the safety group. Just kind of go through. Um, where we see the safeties, you know, what their roles are in 2020. Um, so we talked a little bit, you know, we've talked about this before on this show, but you have Adrian Amos, you have Darnell Savage, and they're locked in, right? Like you're not, nobody's competing for a starting role. Unless, of course, you talk about potentially playing in the slot or playing as like a dime package, which I know that you're really excited to talk about. So Maybe what we'll do is like run through the roster, give some quick thoughts on the safeties that are there, including some of the new additions that'll be battling for a spot in camp. And then we can talk about what those guys look like uh, going into, you know, Patton's scheme and kind of how he plays his secondary. Sound like a plan? I love it. Let's do it. All right. Well, I'm going to give you the floor so that you can start talking about the underrated, underappreciated Adrian Amos. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like you said, like we're our base defense, if you're our base secondary, if you want to call it that is obviously Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, then you've got Jair and Kevin, um, at, at the cornerback, uh, position. Um, obviously Adrian and Darnell, to me, they're actually a little bit interchangeable between free safety and strong safety. Um, and Adrian Amos last season, you know, he'd been quietly dominant, I think, for the Bears for a really long time, mostly because he's not a super flashy guy, and he was on a defense with a lot of pretty big-name stars um, who did a lot of flashy things like Eddie Jackson, right? So I think when he came to Green Bay, it wasn't so much a surprise, um, more so like, I don't really know much about this guy, and this just feels like sort of a solid free agent signing. And it turned out to be more than a solid free agent signing. He is really always where he needs to be. Um, and I think the biggest thing, what we talked about with the cornerbacks is how they were able to thrive this past season, because there's just a deeper level of trust there with the safeties. And I think Adrian Amos is a huge part of that in, in knowing that he's going to be where he needs to be and do what he needs to do. Um, and so just a few things that 
you know, we, we've talked about this, I think, previously, is that, like, there's no grades, there's no stat line for not allowing things to happen, if, if that makes sense. Like, and I feel like if yeah. there, if there was, he would be, he would be the guy that you'd be talking about, you know, but he played all 16 games for us. He had two interceptions, um, that beautiful one against the bears in week one is like coming out moment. I feel like, um, on our defense, eight passes defended a sack 84 tackles, which was actually second for the Packers. <laughs> Um, behind Blake Martinez last season. So again, just like quietly, like you just wouldn't expect that from him. Um, four tackles for a loss, two QB hits, like solid. That's just like what I think of when I see that. Um, but then you look into some of the deeper things and yes, I went to pro football focus. So like, sorry to all of you who are anti pro, football focus, <laughs> but just some of the things, right. Like that no one really talks about is he allowed one touchdown during 668 coverage snaps last season. You know, like that's yeah. just, and he's, he is just where he needs to be all the time. Um, and so I think when it comes to like talk about security and continuity on the team as a whole, and especially in the secondary, he is that, I don't know how you say, like, just, he's the foundation. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, I've written about this for Cheesehead TV and we talked about this a little bit with the cornerbacks episode, but I think that the safety play and the cornerback play have really kind of elevated each other's games. So we talked about this a little bit, you know, on the cornerbacks episode where it's like, it's really easy to look at like a blown coverage and think that it's Kevin King's fault or that it was Jair or that somebody missed, um, you know, in man. But when you have a revolving door in your secondary, where it's Kentrell Bryce or Jermaine Whitehead or Haha Clinton Dix and guys are getting traded and cut and, you know, just it's, you know, there's no consistency there it's really hard to rely on specific people to come in and, you know, play effectively. So, you know, there's like Eddie Pleasant and Ibrahim Campbell and guys that were uh, like played in like one or two games before they either were injured or, you know, released. And I think that really like dampened the, the cornerback play. So, you know, the Packers paid for Sidarius and Preston. I think they were the big names. Billy Turner is often forgot about, but Adrian Amos was really like the under the radar guy where it's like, Oh, okay. He's reliable. And if you asked bears fan, they're like, yeah, he's good. Like you, you, like there's no comments about him other than, yeah, he's, he's good. He's fine. So. Which as a defensive back, you're like, that's, that's what you can, that's what you should ask for. Right. (laughs) Right. Because the flip side of that is a guy like HaHa Clinton Dix who is talented and he makes plays and he has the interception numbers, but it's a lot of like right place, right time, you know, where if he blows it, he blows it and it's a touchdown. Like it's, you know, it's not that consistent play. It's really hit or miss. So the Packers, you know, swung for the fences and they brought in a new safety and free agency and in the draft and both players, you know, which we're going to talk about obviously Darnell Savage next it's paid dividends for them. So I think, you know, the safety play has elevated the cornerbacks and then there's that element of trust too from both parties where they know like the guys in the secondary will be where they're supposed to be at the right time. And it just, I think that's why we're seeing such a, like a productivity jump Mm -hmm. from the secondary and patents defense. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, Again, like just quietly something that I don't think most fans even really think about. But if if the four of them as a cohesive unit really trust each other, it's it's going to make passing against them very difficult. And I mean, we talk about obviously when you think of DBs, you think of the passing game. 
But at the same time, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, we need to shore up our run defense. We need to shore up our run defense. Like Adrian Amos had the most run stops again amongst all our DBs last season. And, you know, so again, like he's not just there out, you know, roaming, making sure, you know, he's covering the end zone, et cetera, or the big play, but he's also stopping the run. And that to me is your kind of like all around safety that you hope to have on your team. Yeah. So, you know, kind of flipping then to his counterpart in the secondary, uh, I think we kind of think of Adrian as the strong safety and Darnell Savage as the free safety, even though you had alluded to the fact they're pretty much interchangeable and they can kind of both do both, which is what you want from your secondary. Um, So Darnell Savage, you know, he, his rookie season, he had two interceptions, five passes defensed, forced two fumbles, which is impressive uh, for a safety. He had 55 uh, total tackles, Um, But if you look at like his completion percentage, these are the numbers that tend to stand out more. So completion percentage, 56.7%, which is really strong. He allowed a quarterback rating of 71.1, which is again, really strong. Um, He was involved on 17 blitzes, which is, you know, really fun. I love like a good Charles Woodson was like one of the best at these, just, you know, the safety blitz. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think that we've kind of talked about this with like Jair Alexander. Anytime you have a starting player in your secondary as a rookie, you expect them to take a pretty significant leap in year two. So to have the solid rookie season, I made he made the rookie team uh, with Elton Jenkins. So, you know, the foundation is there. Like you said, you called Adrian Amos kind of the foundation of the secondary. I think Darnell Savage has an opportunity to have that similar role where the two of them playing in tandem for the next four or five years in Green Bay. You know, there's a lot to really like there. Yeah, and he started off super strong too. Like I, I, I gotta give him a lot of credit for starting week one um, as a rookie. Again, similar to Jair, just like coming in confident in yourself, confident in your athletic ability. I mean, he's got some crazy athletic like traits to him, and super super quick. And you know, of course, he injured his ankle, right? So I think the comeback from that, he took a little dip. That's to be expected. Again, I think there's that like. I don't know what they call it exactly, but like a little bit of a rookie slump where you like kind of hit, you've hit your, you know, your ceiling for your first year. And then, you know, you start to realize, you know, the, the NFL speed of the game, I guess, catches yeah. up to you. Um, but he was, he was super impressive. Like you said, he, he made the all rookie team. We had two. Right. <laughs> Everyone forgets about that. And I think, you know, he was taken later in in the first round after Rashawn and I just think that that drafting by Goot was so so well done I mean you flip a first you trade back you get Jair your starting corner and then you use that first the next season to get your starting safety it's like that's your future of the secondary and he's super young um and as we know right the slot position is something that it's kind of up in the air this season. And we talked about some of the cornerbacks on our last episode that could take on that role. But I think that Darnell actually has like a very high probability of being the player that does it over the rest of the cornerbacks. Um, just really interesting. He played 332 snaps in the slot in college. Um, and he was actually one of the best coverage players, um, slot coverage players among the safeties in the 2019 draft. Um, and I don't know if the Packers did that on purpose, right? But just the fact that he's super versatile, we love those freaky athletes, super versatile players, and that's sort of exactly what he is. And 
Um, I think that he could fill that role really nicely. He played about 48 snaps in the slot in 2018. So he was second after Tremont, obviously. Um, and he only allowed a 42.7 passer rating. So given his experience there in college, right. Um, and he actually had three interceptions his senior year from the slot. So given his experience in college and then his little bit of experience in it in 2019, um, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that he can take that jump into playing that slot role um, this season a little bit more now that Tremont's gone. And we know that Petten loves playing mul- more than four DBs, right, all the time. So we pull in another corner, we pull in another safety, and he takes that role. I think it fills it. He fills it really nicely. Okay, so this is. I was just thinking about this while you were talking about him being drafted later in the first round and. This is probably something I'm going to end up writing an article about because it has now taken up all of my brain power and I'm fascinated by it. Do you think that the success of Darnell Savage in his rookie season has tainted fan perceptions of what Rashawn Gary can do? Like, do you think because Darnell Savage started and was so successful, if we had flipped it, right? If Darnell Savage is drafted 12th overall and then we take Rashawn Gary, does that change things? Like, are the expectations different? Is it just because Rashawn was drafted first and higher that we have like these lofty expectations or did Darnell come in and like, he kind of blew it out of the water making the rookie all pro. I think it's a good question. I think he, it's, it's a combination of things, right? So very different positions, um, very different players. Like Rashawn was touted as this like super high prospect at a high school, maybe didn't reach his potential in college. Like, there, there's a lot more to Rashawn's story pre-draft, I think, that has led to the way some fans feel about him. Um, and also his position, I honestly think his position takes more time to acclimate to. He's obviously behind two stars in the Smith brothers. And whereas I also, I also think, I think Darnell, honestly, at 12 would have been a bit of a reach for us. I think he was picked right where he should have been. So, I mean... I hope not. I hope people aren't comparing our draft, our draft picks to each other. They're two completely different positions, two completely different players. Why do you think so? No, but I mean, it just got me wondering, like, I do think that 12 would be a little rich, but you know, you talked about um, Goody trading back in 2018 and landing Jair at 18. So, you know, like had you flipped it, if you took anyone in the secondary at 12 and they started every game that they were available minus injury, you'd be like, yeah, that's the expectation. They were taken at 12. They were, Mm -hmm. you know, so the fact that Rashawn had as few snaps as he did, there's a part of me that's like, is it just because he, like, if we took him in the second, would anyone have cared? Like, I think it's that it was the 12th overall and you're letting them develop and nobody wants to take a guy at 12 and wait for them to develop. Yeah. I was going to say, I think just like any first round pick has higher expectations than anyone else. Um, and the fact that we had two, one of which was a bona fide starter and the other is a little bit of a project. I think it actually gives us a little, gives Goot a little more wiggle room, right? Cause one of his first round picks was a huge contributor and the other played well. And now we hope that he takes that bigger jump, but maybe I'm just like majorly reasonable. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I don't know. I mean, what do you think about Darnell taking over the slot position? I like, I mean, 
I think that we, you know, we talked a little bit pre-show about like the defense being multiple. And, you know, one of the reasons that we talk all the time about how much I love the psycho defense, even though I don't think it's like coming to a green Bay near you anytime soon. Like, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's the versatility. And that Mm -hmm. was like the buzzword of, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, Mike Patton, Matt LaFleur, everybody in their press conferences, like this whole off season has talked about versatility being multiple, being versatile. And, you know, whether it's Jandon Sullivan, whether it's Darnell Savage, if you drop Raven Green in the box, like whatever it is, you could end up in nickel or dime and not know where the pressure's coming from. If you're, you know, you're going to bring Adrian Amos on a blitz. If, you know, you're dropping Darnell into coverage from the slot, uh, if you bring in like Will Redmond to be, you know, a free safety. So I think just that all the different roles that many of the secondary can play. I think that's what makes this defense so interesting and the secondary. So kind of tactful. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said for there's a, there's pros and cons, right. To how much dime we play, right. We, we let up run the run play. Okay, fine. But I think also the idea that you have, six DBs on the field that are, like you said, super versatile, but also it's deceptive. It's like, we don't know what they're about to do. Um, Are they going to come in and, you know, is Adrian Amos going to come into the box because he can do that? You know, he was one of the highest graded safeties playing in the box last season. You know, is Darnell going to slide, like you said, into coverage in the slot? Can Raven Green come in and play in the box? So it's, I think the versatility, but also the way it's used is, is that deception of what are they going to do? And Matt LaFleur talks all the time about the idea that he wants the offense to be this illusion of complexity when it's not really as complex as it may seem. But like this secondary can do the same thing is that illusion of how, what, you know, tricking the offense into thinking they're in one coverage and then sliding their players into another because they can. Yeah. And I think like kind of going back, I don't know if you listen to the Kenny Clark presser, but our good friend Aaron Nagler asked, you know, Kenny about, you know, Mike Patton plays more dime than anyone in the NFL. I'm like, what does that do for your run defense? Because, you know, when you're dedicating six players into the secondary, you know, that leaves you a little short up front. And Kenny had basically said that it's a pass first league. Yep. You have to expect it. You can't always come out and base. And then the guys along the line just have to know, like, their expectation is to not just fill their own gap, but every player along the line should be playing one and a half gaps. So I thought that that was a really interesting answer where, and I mean, Kenny's a leader anyway, like he's not going to say like, yeah, I need somebody else next to me. Like stop playing dime. Like (laughs) it's not going to happen because that's not who Kenny is. Kenny could take on a triple team and still get to the quarterback. But buses for God's sake. (laughs) Wish I could, but, (laughs) but you know, so like, you know, the players are aware of it. They know that it's the expectation in the patent scheme that he does use a lot of dime. And it's just, you know, it's something that I think if you're going to play in the front seven in Green Bay, there's the expectation there that it's going to be a little lighter up front because Mike Patton has basically said, and I know that the NFC Championship game is the worst example of this, they'll let you run the ball all day, but you will not be able to pass the ball. Yeah. So, and at the end of the day, it's about stopping them from getting in the end zone. And whether we do that through a dime package or we do that through heavy up front, all that really matters is that we stop the other team from scoring. Um, and I I think we're a very well-rounded defense. Like, in general, I think we have really good guys in the trenches. I know some people may disagree with that. But, like, when you have Kenny Clark taking up double teams and doing it well and having our outside linebackers also, you know, being able to generate pressure – 
And then having all of the guys that we've mentioned in the secondary, you know, playing at a very, very high level and then adding in some players that I think we both, and we can get to them in a little bit, feel like can come in in a depth way and still be really strong on the field, like Will Redmond, like Raven Green, maybe Vernon Scott, who we just drafted. Like, that's a very well-rounded defense. And so, yes, maybe we will let up a, you know, a couple hundred yards on the ground. But at the end of the day, we we were a bend, don't break defense last season. And we won 13 games, 14 games. So <laughs> I think, I guess my hope in this, just to like sort of round this out in terms of scheme is, I hope that Petten, and I think he sees it, is what each of these guys' strengths are. They're, they all are very good at very different things, and they're all good at multiple things. And so as long as he plays to their strengths and calls you know, the right coverages, just those two things. Um, <laughs> like we're, we're, Simple our, stuff. Our, our defense is going to be very good again. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think... I was really high on this player um, coming into 2019, and then he obviously had the unfortunate like injury timing. Um, but Raven Green is somebody that I've been really excited about. I mean, just if you look at him physically, he's like a freak athletic human. I don't think there's an ounce of body fat on the man's body. Like, <laughs> just we we know kind of the role that he can play. He played a lot on special teams. I was actually at the Dolphins game. Uh, where he had the uh, the fake punt, which was really fun uh, to see him run for a first down. But, you know, he's he's another one of those players where you, you preach versatility, and that can be Raven Green. So, you know, people had speculated, like, what would the NFC Championship game have looked like if he was able to play opposite, like, Martinez as, like, the second kind of hybrid inside linebacker. I don't think Raven Green is saving the season. Like, I don't think he gets you to the Super Bowl. Yeah. But... If you have Amos and Savage in the back, at like the back end of the defense, and then you have a guy like Raven Green that can drop into the box, what does that then kind of do for the middle of your defense, where you have a guy like Christian Kirksey who maybe is more inclined to play the run, and then you have a guy like Raven Green who can drop into coverage? So I'm really excited to see what he can do. I guess to me, he feels like the surest lock of the rest of the safeties. I don't know if you agree or disagree. Interesting. Yeah, but I. I think I just, if the Packers are ready to move on, at least to me, I think it would have happened, you know, a little, a while ago. So I think like him coming back, I think that he's a player that they're expecting to take another leap. And I think that he'll get more opportunities because that second inside linebacker spot is just so up in the air. So what do you think about, you know, either green or... I would love to see us have that kind of like box safety linebacker. Like I was really into, um, you know, like Kyle Duggar, right. For example, in, in the draft and, and players like that, because again, I think those are pieces that Petten could, could do some really awesome things with. Do I think, like you said, like if Raven Green played in the NFC championship (laughs) going to the Super Bowl, like, no, he's not this like crazy catalyst. That's going to like launch us to the Super Bowl. But he is, like you said, like a really, interesting player that brings a skill set that I don't think we have. And so, yes, I'm, I'm super excited to see what kind of jump he takes, obviously a full non-injured season, um, you know, will, will certainly show us that of course, coming off a season ending injury, you never know what, what that's going to look like, especially right with this like weird off season. Um, honestly, I'm a, I'm a little higher on Will Redmond um, than, than Raven Green. I think mostly just because, like we said, you know, Adrian and Darnell can kind of drop into different 
positions and, and Will can really come in and just be that like strong safety. Right. And, and in nickel and dime packages, they think he did that pretty well. Um, I liked his limited snaps last season. He definitely caught my eye similar to like a Chandon Sullivan as a cornerback. I just, I felt like, okay, yeah, like this guy can take on some more snaps and he can be solid and he can be trustworthy. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they use him this this season. Yeah. And so I think with Will Redmond too, like one of the things that I forget, and it's not that like draft stock really needs much at the end of the day, because you have like the Kurt Warners who obviously make the hall of fame going undrafted, but like with Will Redmond, like I forget that he's a third round draft yeah. pick, right? Like he, yeah. and he didn't latch on with his initial team, which was the 49ers, 49ers but yep. you know, like there is that opportunity there where it's like, most players are drafted high because the tape that they put out, there's a lot of promise in their game. So yeah. thinking about like what he could do with the right development. And now they have Jerry Gray coming in as a secondary coach, like just, you know, kind of all those pieces potentially coming together. Yeah. You know, there's so a lot to be excited about. Yeah. Because like when you think like Chan and Sullivan, right. Like he's proven himself at every single point because he's had to, because he's an undrafted. Yeah. Freak. And that's not the same with Will Redmond. I think people forget that. And he just maybe dropped down in the depth chart right over in the 49ers. Have, again, a really solid defense. Um, and I think you're right. The development with Jerry Gray. I mean, everyone expects all of the DBs to make a, a nice jump with a guy like him. He's done some amazing things in his with his past teams. So maybe this is what Will Redmond means, right, to to be kind of more of that like solid starter player. I just really love like the fact that we use so many DBs on the field, like that gives the, these guys so much opportunity to prove themselves. Um, and to me, that's really exciting for some of those like depth chart guys, because they're not going to be sitting around like we need them. And there's at least six that we need on to be basically starters for every game. And so I don't know. I feel like that opportunity and the ability for Petten to sort of like move all of his little chess pieces around is really exciting. I know people have a lot of issues with the dime package, but. And and I mean, it's just interesting to think about like, you know, everything in the NFL ebbs and flows. Like, you know, for one season, we really value running backs. And then now there's going to be like 80 billion of them on the market and they're probably going (laughs) to get, you know, inexpensive contracts because of that, because like we hit a saturation point and, you know, sometimes it's a pass heavy league and then you're, you know, you have Matt LaFleur who's looking at a more balanced offense. So I, it's funny to talk about like the Packers defense and going back like as few as four years ago yeah. when the secondary was like the weakness of the team, you know, because you still had a, like a, a dominant Clay Matthews and yes, he was on the tail end of like his successful tenure in Green Bay, but you know, Nick Perry had his, standalone season where he got paid and then unfortunately had to deal with more injuries but you know the pass rush has never really been the problem for Green Bay like you know um, unless you're hearkening back to like the 2010 Super Bowl run with Charles Woodson Nick Collins like the secondary has always kind of been like the Achilles where Mm -hmm. you know you can generate a pass rush but if you can't like look at the NFC championship game in 2016 like so just to to now be able to talk about like so many moving pieces in the secondary and being confident in all of those pieces it just kind of shows like the way that the Packers and any NFL team like they come full circle over time and it's yeah. a largely due to draft and develop and the players you bring in free agency but it's it's just really funny now to be talking about a secondary that we're like 
energized and excited about. And we think that they're going to be like the strength of the team. Yeah, it is. It's so funny to think about because you're right. Not so long ago, there was a time where we were super nervous about anybody passing against us. As like you said, that 2016 <laughs> NFC championship game, we'll show you losing like 44 to, I don't know. So the strength of them and the trustworthiness, I think we just keep coming back to this word of like being able to trust the guys on the field to do their jobs and be in the right place at the right time is game changing. It's just so, I just, like I said, we're just such a well, well-rounded defense. Like, Really, really solid pass rush, really solid secondary. Maybe, yes, inside linebacker is a little bit of a weak point, but I think there are ways to use the players that we have to fill those holes, and we can we can stop teams from winning. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. Yeah, so one player that I'm really excited about, and – I go back and forth just because, you know, like we're so high on Raven Green and we're so high on Will Redmond and like don't know how many safeties they'll end up keeping on the roster. But the fact, like you mentioned, that Mike Patton does play so much time bodes well for them potentially keeping a fifth, even though historically they've kept closer to four. So I don't know who would be the odd man out, but Vernon Scott. And like one of the things that intrigues me about him, even though he was only like a one-year starter at TCU, I think he got kind of buried on the depth chart by some of the other players um, that went before him and obviously got drafted mm-hmm. higher, but he's six two, which is a really unique body type for a safety. Every other safety on the roster is five eleven or six foot, um, but he's like the same weight, so he he kind of feels like the Kevin King of safeties, <laughs> where he's got like this really lean, athletic body type. He's only twenty two, and mm-hmm. you know he doesn't have like a ton of tape because he didn't really get that many starting snaps, but he has the versatility to kind of play that nickel role where he is like a hybrid corner safety. So I can see why like he's really raw, but why the Packers would take a flyer on him on day three of the draft, because if you can develop him, there's a lot there that's really intriguing. Yeah. I mean, he ticks all the boxes, right. Of just like a freaky athlete who's super versatile, who, like you said, can we kind of bring into camp, see what he can do, see where we can mold him, where we can fit him. Um, I do agree that like the depth, chart in terms of just like dbs in general but especially the safeties like we're so locked at one and two and honestly a little bit at three and four so he'll have to prove it and sort of climb his way up but again he's just a rook right so um i think he has like you said like the skill set to really like come in and do and do something um i wish that there were was media at camp so we could like hear about how these guys guys are doing but i'm so excited to hear about the first practice next saturday yeah, and I mean, I think one of the things, too, like Ty Summers alluded to this uh, when he was on Pack-A-Day with us, like, a month. it feels like it was forever ago. It feels like it was yesterday. I can't keep track of my days anymore in quarantine. Mm-hmm. But when he was with us on Pack-A-Day, he had said, like, his advice for players like Vernon Scott, you know, who was a former teammate, is just you have to be dedicated to special teams. So yeah. if these guys – like, we know Raven Green can do it. We know Will Redmond took a number of snaps there. So – I think that that's going to be the avenue for a number of these guys who are maybe bubble players. And the bubble of the roster kind of looks a little different in 2020, knowing that the practice squad is bigger. But, you know, I think that that's kind of like the key area for these players is to really make a name for themselves on special teams to lock into the 53. And then they can kind of go from there if there are injuries or any reasons that they would need to kind of then funnel into the defense. But I think, that's going to kind of differentiate who takes those final spots is if they can play 
a serviceable role on special teams. I don't knock special teams at all. Special teams are super important. They can, I mean, field position and, um, I mean, look at the Patriots. Like that's like something that they excel at and they win because of some really great plays on special teams. So yeah, I agree. I think, I think he, that's the best way I think to, to rise up on the depth chart. So especially, yeah, I was gonna say, especially in a position that is just like, like we said, just like, it's not, it's not something where we're like trying out a bunch of guys to look for our starter. Like we've got those. So. Yeah. So the final two names then on the depth chart, there's Henry Black and Frankie Griffin, and they have identical body types, which is really Mm -hmm. interesting. They're both six foot, both 204, um, kind of bigger safeties, but Um, The thing that stood out to me about Henry Black when I was doing some research on him was that he played linebacker um, his junior season of college. So that was, um, he played a couple fewer games that season. I believe he had an injury, but just the fact that, you know, the Packers, we talk about again, being versatile, being multiple and the guys like Raven Green, who are bulkier and can take snaps in the box opposite, like a Christian Kirksey, whoever is filling in an inside linebacker, like to me, that's another opportunity for a player to maybe be the third safety. So, you know, these are the guys that feel like they're the outside looking in at this point, but for, you know, Henry Black and Frank Griffin, what, I mean, have you done enough to know much about them outside of, I mean, similar to you, right. Just like with the idea that they're probably like cut down day type of guys, like bring into camp, see what they see, what they can add, maybe slip, slip them into the practice squad. If no one picks them up type of guys, which have a hard time, especially if they're same body type, same skill set. The idea that the Packers will keep both, maybe one, especially this season where we are only keeping 80 on the roster. And I know the Packers are right around 80 right now with their COVID list, but when those players start to come back, like when Mason Crosby comes off the list. Yeah. And it's not like those players or players were cutting. It's like Jason Mason Crosby. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So there was a little bit of breaking news, not really breaking news while, you know, we were talking about the safeties, but the Packers have officially announced that Lambeau field will not have fans during the first two home games of the season. So they said that after those first two games, they'll be reevaluating to see kind of what everything is like. But before we wrap the show up, any thoughts on Lambeau making the statement that they won't have fans? I mean, yeah, duh. Like, I don't think there's going to, I don't know. Like, yeah, there's not going to be fans all season. Like, let's just be real here. Like, even if we make it through a full season of football at the pace that we're going, like, I'd be happy with, like, that's my low expectations is that maybe we'll get a full 16 games. Like, it's just fans aren't going to happen. It's just not. Could you imagine being in a crowd right now? I can't. I would die. Like, I can't even get in an elevator with more than two people in it. So, let alone go to a stadium. So it's, look, we're going to get stadium full of games for years and years to come. I think it's okay that it's not this year. And I think you and I have said it many times, more than happy drinking beer on our couch. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, like, I, you know, the joke has been on Twitter today that, you know, Zadarius and Preston Smith are no longer able to do joint interviews. And trust me, as the biggest Darius Smith stand that exists on the planet, that is devastating to me. I'm upset about it. But, you know, the people asking why, like, I get it. Okay, like, 
you know, these are guys that are going to be hitting each other in practice, lining up against each other, taking snaps, whatever. But the point is you're trying to limit that contact as much as possible. So Mm -hmm. even though they're in each other's like sphere of influence and they're going to be within six feet of each other at any given moment, you don't need to prolong the encounters, I think is what people are missing. So as fun as it would have been to watch them do interviews together, especially on like zoom where the two of them will have like fun body language being on camera at the same time. Like I get what the Packers are doing and it's just, you know, they're setting the expectation that unless it is required necessary to the success of the football team to be able to play a full season, they're not going to do it. And you have to respect that decision, especially if, you know, if you're one of the people that wants to get into Lambo sooner. So the, the quicker that we can all follow the rules, we'll be able to watch football a lot quicker. Yeah. And not to quote Aaron Rodgers, but like, you got to control the controllables. And that is one of them. Like you said, like we want to limit their close contact as much as humanly possible. If so that when they are obviously playing together on the field, that's, that's really all that it is. And so, yeah, like, no, like, yes. Are we sad that we're not going to get our cute Smith brothers interviews? Sure. <laughs> I can live with that for a season again, if it means that we get to watch a football game. And again, like it feels silly to say keeping them apart in an interview, like what's the difference if they're playing on the fields. But again, it's just like, you got to control what you can control and, that is the exact kind of thing where you're just going to keep them separate. Yeah. I mean, we just, you know, I, you guys can't see this, but we both flexed at the camera at the same time because, you know, it's like, Ooh, that's <laughs> mic drop, but I don't know. Watch, watch game on happy hour and you can see all of our mannerisms in person. You can see my golden girl shirt that I'm wearing. I'm wearing a Rosecki shirt. Oh, I could, I could definitely tell from the second you sat down what that was. <laughs> I love this shirt. Um, so, yeah. So, let's wrap up on safeties. Any, any final parting thoughts as we, as we round out our secondary analysis? It's really hard because the guys in the secondary right now, I have, like, a weird attachment to. And maybe, like, I don't know why that is. But Raven Green was one of the undrafted players that at the start of his first camp, I was like, he's going to make the roster. Like, there's something special about him. And I've been a fan of his ever since. And They seem to agree with you. And, yeah, I've always, like, rooted for his success. And he's got kind of that lingering injury to deal with. And he's always just kind of been, like, three or four. And, you know, obviously he's not going to be one or two this year. But he's a name to keep an eye on. And everything, you know, we joked on draft night and the night's beyond that, that there's no footage of Vernon Scott because he just didn't take that many career snaps. There aren't like, except for that crazy pick six. Yeah. Like the 98 (laughs) yarder. But so like, if that's all we have to go off of great. (laughs) It's like Josiah DeGuara running down the uh, interception (laughs) that Matt LaFleur played uh, for the team. Bodying a guy. But yeah. So, I mean, I think those are my two guys. Like I love Will Redmond. Um, Henry Black is somebody that I'm excited about because of his versatility. Frankie Griffin, I don't know enough about to, you know, give takes on, I guess, at this point. But I I do think that it's a strong safety group. And I think figuring out whether they keep four or five is going to be the challenge. Strong safety group, football puns. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I obviously am a huge, huge fan of – of what Goot has done in our secondary from safety to cornerback. I just think it's been a completely transformed and his, the, our base four are going to be, you know, 
tandems to watch. I, I mean, you wait for it next season. It, Jair and Kevin are going to be a top cornerback tandem, and I think Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage are also going to be a top safety tandem in the league. And that goes a long, long way and also just fits exactly what Petten wants to do. So I'm ready to see some more interceptions, um, and I'm just ready for some football, man. This has been a really long off season. So before we go, Maggie, tell the fine folks where they can find all of your amazing work because there's so much of it to be had. She's everywhere. I'm so busy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You can find me two times a week for Cheesehead TV. I podcast with the Thursday crew on the Pack-A-Day podcast. If you have not listened to episode 743, please do that. It's the most recent show I did. I interviewed uh, Packers fans from literally all over the globe we had five continents represented so asia antarctica get your shit together um we can we can round it out soon but yeah i mean it was phenomenal i mean these are guys that watch the packers at 3 a.m um i recorded at 5 p.m lambo time and the fan from australia it was the next morning 8 a.m and he just hopped on the podcast to talk some football so the dedication of these people is unreal and they deserve to share their stories with you so listen to that um, you can catch Perry and me every Monday at 6 p.m. Lambo time doing Game on Wisconsin Happy Hour. Um, if you want to see us drink more than we should on live YouTube and talk about football, make sure that you tune in. Please um, increase our viewership, ask us some questions, and yeah, interact with us. We love the questions. We do. Yep. And then I think that's it. I mean, and then follow Pax, what she said. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. Obviously I'm not nearly as busy as Maggie, but I am, (laughs) but no, I am with the pack a day crew every other Monday. Um, my first episode is going to be next, not this coming Monday, but next Monday. So look out for that. No, I lied. It's going to be this coming Monday. Um, I don't know what day it is anymore. Um, So really, really, really excited for the crew that we got going on over there. I'm really excited to be more of a, I guess, standing member of the team. If you aren't listening to Pack-A-Day, I don't know what you're doing. It's like the greatest group of people who talk about the Packers every week. Um, It's literally every single day, 365 days. Um, Just started year three, right? season three as, as Andy is calling it. So follow, follow him on Twitter, follow Pax, what she said on Twitter, catch us on game on happy hour. Like Maggie said on Monday nights, um, it's been a super blast. Um, we're going to be streaming through social media as well. So you don't even have to leave Twitter to watch us. Um, and as always, as always, and never forget number one, go Paco. Go Paco. is back in town, the Green Bay Packers.